Welcome to Rock House Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here with us. Welcome back to Rock House after being gone for a couple of weeks. Last week we got the uh, we got the pri- we had the privilege of going down to the river and celebrating with 20 or so people that were baptized last week. Just an incredible day. Called it Transformation Sunday. We had a big cookout, big celebration of the transformation that has taken place in people's lives over the past few months. Uh, here at Rock House Baptist Church. One of my favorite things to do, to be honest with you, is baptizing people. I love it. I love people uh, coming out and professing their faith in Christ through baptism. But I, I was thinking about it this week, you know, as, as I studied for today's message. Christianity doesn't stop at the waters of baptism. As a matter of fact, if, if we stopped there, we'd be failing as a church if that's all we did, we'd be disobedient to Christ's words, to the Great Commission, to the Word of God. We'd totally miss the Great Commission, actually, if we stopped at baptism, if we only made converts, but we failed to disciple them. Because you need discipleship your entire life. Everybody knows that I love to play golf. Some of the other guys in church love to play golf. I heard a great golf story this week. Two old guys had reached that point in life. They were retired, and they pretty much had the opportunity to just play golf every day if they wanted to. One of the guys was 80 years old out there playing golf every day. And they go out, and one day they were out there on the links, and they were, they were playing, and, and, and this old man, he got the perfect setup. And you know what, I, if you play golf, you know what I'm talking about. He basically had to do a nice, short chip up onto the green for a nice, short, easy putt. And so he goes up and he, he lines up with his club and, and he, he rears back with his pitching wedge and he chips it and he, he just blows it. I mean, he goes right into the water. And so we hate losing our golf ball, so he... he goes over to the, the water and he's digging through the weeds and he takes his club and he rakes back this big bundle of cattails and behind this bundle of cattails sets this big bug-eyed bullfrog just kind of staring at him. And he sits there and he, he looks at that bullfrog for a minute and that bullfrog opens its mouth and the golf ball wasn't in the bullfrog's mouth. That's, that's where I thought the story was going to. It gets weirder than that. It opens its mouth, and it says, Kiss me. And you've heard this fairy tale before. But the old man hears this, and he's, just, he's taken aback a little bit, but he doesn't say anything. He just kind of stands there, and he stares at this bullfrog, and the bullfrog's waiting for a response, and it opens its mouth one more time, and it says, Kiss me. And I will turn into a young, beautiful woman, and you can have me for the rest of your life. Well, the old man stands there for a minute. He's staring still at this frog, and his, but this time his friend has made his way over, and he's overheard the conversation. And he says, hey, he says, man, didn't you hear what that thing said? Kiss that thing, man. You can have a, a, a hotsy trotsy girl for the rest of your life. And the old man stands there and he, he doesn't move for a moment. He, he's like he's in deep thought and he thinks. And he scoops up the frog. 
And he packs it back to his golf cart, puts it in his golf bag, zips it closed, and gets in. And his friend runs back. He says, man, what are you thinking? He says, kiss that frog, man. Get you a nice, young, good-looking woman. And finally, the old man looks at his buddy and says, you know, at my age, I just assume I have a talking bullfrog. Oh. <laughs> Now, there's absolutely nothing true about that story at all. And what I mean by that is you will never get so old or so mature that you overcome all the desires that this flesh has. Until one thing, one or two things happen. Either Jesus comes back or he calls you home. You're still going to struggle with what this old body wants. Now, the part about the talking frog, that was true. That part was true. But you never, and here's my point in it, you never outgrow your need to grow closer to God. Think about that for just a minute. You'll never outgrow your need to grow closer to God. It's why I love our purpose statement as a church. And you've heard me say this over and over, but our purpose statement says this. The sole purpose of Rock House Baptist Church is to lead people. And we need to lead people because this thing doesn't just happen on accident. Lead people in a continually growing relationship with Jesus Christ based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. This is why we're talking about the now what. What's next? Now that I'm saved. Now that I'm, because we had a lot of people get saved in the past three, four, six months. A lot of people got baptized recently. What do we do now? Now that I identify with Jesus Christ, now that I've professed my faith through baptism and in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, what do I need to do now? What's next? I think that's a question that we often ask about everything else in life. What's my next job? What's my next position? What's my next degree? The next level I'm going to get to. If you're a pessimist, you're thinking, what's the next failure, my next catastrophe? Who's the next person that's going to let me down? Either side, you're always thinking about what's next. I think we live for what is next, except for when it comes to our faith. We're often too satisfied with where we are the way things are going with our walk in the Lord, the way that we act and behave, and we should be, I think, always asking the question, what's next? Well, what's next is called discipleship. And it should be the natural follow-up to evangelism. Somebody comes to Jesus by hearing the gospel, we lead somebody to Christ, the next natural thing should be what we call discipleship. Notice what Jesus says in the Great Commission. It's what he commanded that we do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what our purpose statement is built on. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now think about that for a minute. This, this is the setup for the Great Commission, what Jesus says. Aren't you glad that the person that you have placed your faith in, the person that you have placed your eternal trust in for, forever, the one that you place the hope for your salvation. Aren't you glad he has all authority, all power in heaven and on earth? Jesus says that, and then he says, because of that, therefore go, and as you're going, make disciples. Disciples. 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Imagine something with me real quick. I, in my mind, I apologize for the way I think about things, but imagine this. Imagine our high school, Leslie County High School, was, was planning to hire a new football coach. This is purely hypothetical. I love Coach Eddie. I'm so glad he's going to let us host an after-game party for the, for the football players. But imagine we were hiring a new coach, and we had uh, the highest expectations for this guy. He was the cream of the coaching crop. And <laughs> say that ten times fast. He was going to be the best recruiter, the best strategist, the best staffer. He was the guy that was going to win titles, region titles, state titles. He was going to make players, produce players that would go on and play at the collegiate level, go on and play at the professional level. And day one practice comes around and a couple of people sneak out to see what's going on. And they find the new coach out there training his players to be cheerleaders. Instead of teaching them the game. He's got them out there waving pom-poms and doing cheer routines. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? To take somebody that could be professional level quality and teach them to do something totally different. You've got to realize that's exactly what the church does when it fails at making actual disciples of Jesus Christ. We make a lot of people that are content with, with cheering and a lot of people that are content sitting in the stands watching and cheering on the home team, but too few professional players, champions for Christ. Jesus says that we, in the Great Commission, we are supposed to make what? Disciples. And before I get to the responsibilities of the disciple, I want to just talk about the church's role in all this because we far too often miss the mark in making disciples. Dr. Tom Rayner says this, a very recent study. He says 70% of young adults ages 18 to 22, that's over two-thirds of this generation, will drop out of church never to return again. 70%. And he says it's mostly because they did not see church as something that was essential to their life. And I, to me, it tells me they weren't growing in Christ. They may have been going to church, but they weren't being discipled. They weren't growing closer to the Lord because if you grow, you all know this, if you're growing closer to God, if you're learning more about God and who He is and you're experiencing Him firsthand in your life, you can't help but naturally want to know and experience and learn more about Him. Amen? They don't see church as being essential to their life. And I would just say it probably isn't because we far too often as the church have settled for dunking people and then just letting them go out the door never to fool with them again. We make church members. We fill up buildings. We fill up pews, but we don't build congregants. We don't invest our time and energy into making disciples who follow Jesus above all other things. So what is a disciple? It's a good question, isn't it? I can tell you it's not somebody that just comes to church. It's not just somebody that comes and, and, and wears the title Christian. I think Jesus wanted us to be and, and to make so much more than just that. George Barna, great Christian man of the Barna Research Group, 
He says it's time that we redefine our understanding of what a disciple is and that we redefine the standards of success in the church. Let me share some of, you, some of these things with you real quickly. George Barna says that we need to stop focusing so much on square footage and budgets and numbers and start looking at people and what their lives are doing. He says we should set a standard, for example, look at hearts that are sensitive to sin and wounded every time they do something that offends God. People who live differently because of their faith, leading lives that conform to the dictates of Scripture without cutting corners or trying to interpret biblical passages for personal comfort or advantage. Wow. He says individuals who are continually linked to God through prayer and meditation as if they were online 24-7 with the ultimate spiritual power. What if that was our standard? What if that's what we expected? That was what we produced. I think if we produced that and expected that out of our Christians and our church members, I don't think 70% of 18 to 20-year-olds would be leaving the church. Actually, I think they probably would. I take that back. They probably would be leaving in order to go out and make more disciples just like they are. That's what discipleship is all about. Barna goes on to give us a definition. He says, Discipleship is being and reproducing spiritually mature zealots for Christ. Following Christ isn't just about coming and warming up a pew or a seat. Jesus said it so much more. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus says, Disciples take self and they set self off to the side. And then they come and they follow him. They chase after him with everything in them. They lay down their lives, their will, their selfish plans, their selfish goals in order to have a closer relationship with Jesus. And that's what he means about losing your life. If you set all of that stuff to the side, you'll actually find what life is all about. Matter of fact, I would say it's, it's only in Christ that your life will ever make sense and that you'll ever actually understand your true purpose for living. It's through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can fill that void in your life that is designed by God to be filled by God himself. I love last week. He's not here to let me pick on him this morning, but I love last week when Ron, the first guy we baptized, and he came up out of the water, and he was just totally overcome with emotion. For a few minutes. I loved it. And I don't think it was just because he was deathly terrified of water. I don't think that was it. I know not because afterwards Ron told me, he said, he said, man, it, when I came up out of that water, he said, I felt like the weight of the world had lifted off my shoulders for the first time in my life. I think that's what it means to lose your life, to lose self, and now identify with Christ. Crucify this 
flesh and let it die with Jesus. To be, as Paul said, risen to walk in a new way of life. That's discipleship. How do we make disciples? How do we become disciples? Well, discipleship means getting plugged in. People that come to faith in Christ, some of you here this morning, you're probably on that spiritual high that we talked about, that I mentioned. And if I were to tell you that in five years you probably won't even be in church, you probably wouldn't believe me, would you? But statistics teach us that if somebody comes to faith in Christ and they're not plugged into a smaller group, smaller than this, and I'll explain that in a minute, there's an 80% chance that in five years they won't be in church. 80% chance. But, you know, flip that around, that means 80% will stay in church after five years if they're plugged in. I like those odds. But we've got to get people plugged in. That's why I spend so much time talking about this because I believe with all my heart that the best place for discipleship to occur is within the context of the local church. I don't think it's going to happen at Dairy Queen or at your job or when you're at the lake for the weekend or whatever the case may be. Now, you may have some good experiences and some good conversations, but true, life-altering, life-changing discipleship Spiritual growth is going to happen within the ministries of the local church. just the way God designed it. Now here at Rock House, we've got so many options for you to get plugged in. That's why we have so many options and why we do so many things because we believe that you've got to get plugged in somewhere. And you can just about get plugged in any day of the week. You can come tonight. There'll be probably about a fifth of the people here this morning, here tonight, to take a, a deeper discussion in a small group setting. You can come on Monday nights to celebrate recovery. Tuesday night, we got a group for men, women, and a, a youth group. Come on Wednesday for a small group Bible study. Just about any time, any day of the week, we can get you plugged in for real spiritual growth. The kids can come tonight for Awanas. Such a big deal, though. Next week, it's all we're talking about. Is getting connected. This morning as we come to our final point. I just... I don't know, guys. I think it's time that a lot of us step up to the plate and get serious and get real about our faith. The fact that we bear the name of Christ and call ourselves Christians... It's a big deal. Between you and me, I honestly don't know how much longer time is going to let us go on. Regardless of when that happens, when Christ returns, we can guarantee that every day takes us closer to that moment. So I believe that you've got to get serious about your walk with God. It's time that we go to war with the sin in our life. The, all that junk that we talked about the last eight weeks on the road to recovery. It's time that we fight that. All that stuff that is dishonoring, displeasing to God, we fight it with everything in us. 
It's time that we get serious, men, about leading our families closer to Christ, setting the godly example for our wives and our children. It's time that we start trying to lead our families and lead our friends to Jesus. Get real about spending time in His Word, spending time talking with Him in prayer. I think if there ever was a time in history, today there's absolutely no place for a half-hearted Christian. Jesus wants disciples, not lukewarm wannabes. When I first enlisted into the army, I came in as an E-1 private and 11 Bravo infantrymen. And we had a saying. We said there's 11 Bs and then there's wannabes. Folks, God doesn't want any wannabes. He wants followers that are absolutely sold out for Jesus. I think I've got time to share this. When I was talking about laying some of your dreams and your selfish ambitions down, I used to have this dream about being a country music star. You know? I'm preaching to the choir now, man. That's what I wanted with my life. I wanted to move to Nashville. I wanted to go to school at Belmont University, get me a, a record deal, write songs, make a lot of money, and, and sing about my dog and my wife and getting drunk. Just being honest. But I realized as I grew closer to God, there was something going terribly wrong with country music. And I'm not talking about the introduction of pop country. That's not what I'm talking about. Somewhere, I don't know, and it, maybe it was always like this, but it seemed to really take off about 15 years ago or so. There was this rise where country lyrics would talk about being tight with Jesus. And by the end of the song, they're talking about living a lifestyle totally incompatible with following Jesus. And that began to irk my soul as I got closer to the Lord. Let me give you an example. I'm just going to be real with you for a minute. Here's a song that's pretty popular these days by Eric Church. His song says, I was 15 when my daddy's old man caught me halfway through my first beer. He laughed so hard when my face turned green, he said, you come from a long line of sinners like me. See, we know this. We know this better than we know God's Word, don't we, sometimes? He says, Now me and my brother go to see him sometimes, but he don't have too much to say anymore. We sit on his headstone with a fifth of Jack D. Here's to a long line of sinners like me. Well, now maybe, who knows, one day I'll settle down, give my dad a grandson of his own, and when the doctor smacks him, he'll probably take a swing because he'll come from a long line of sinners like me. And get the way this ends. I know where I'm going to go. Me and Jesus got that part worked out. I wait at the gates till his face I see and stand in a long line of sinners like me. I hate to tell Eric, but sinners don't get to go into heaven. Sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ get to go to heaven. And if you're struggling with living a lifestyle of sin that is incompatible with your faith in Jesus, 
You might want to check yourself. And I'm not bashing there at church. I'm not telling you to stop listening to country music. That's between you and the Lord. Ask Him what He wants you to do. But what I'm saying is this, and this is, this is where I'm wrapping this up. We've got to grow up. We've got to grow up and mature as Christians. We have got to grow in our faith. We've got to get off the milk and start eating meat and potatoes in the Word of God. Now you're asking, why are you being so serious, Pastor? I'm being so serious this morning because there's enough fakes in the world. Enough phonies, enough people, even in the church, that claim to be Christians, but deny Christ by the way they live. One of my greatest quotes, Brandon Manning said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So my question for you this morning, and, and we're, man, we're just skimming the surface. This is the introductory passage, a message. But my question for you this morning, as we set out on a journey to grow in our faith and grow closer to God, I want, are you real? Are you believable? When you say, I go to church or I'm a Christian, does your life support that statement? Or are you one of these that people look at you and they say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Folks, the world doesn't need any more of that. They need somebody they can look at and they can say, I want that. If that person is messed up, as broken, as dirty as they were, if their life can change through Jesus Christ, I want whatever they have. So where are you at today? Let's pray. Lord, God, I pray that we could just be on fire for you. Lord, this world doesn't need any lukewarm Christians. It doesn't need any cold Christians that just sit in pews week in and week out and never grow closer. They never share their faith. God, what this world needs is people, disciples, of Jesus. God, people that are willing to follow after you no matter what. God, the only way that we're going to make a difference in our families, in our communities, in our churches is if we step up to the plate and we lead by example and we begin to share the truth of your word and your gospel unashamedly. Lord, I pray today you break down any walls of fear any walls of separation, any doubts that we may have. And God, just ignite a passion in us to be used by you to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.